0: Well, good morning, friends. If we have not met, my name is Charlie Salamone. I'm the lead pastor here. And we've been doing a series on the Lord's Prayer. Let's actually put it on the screen. You can join with me as I read it. Matthew 6, beginning verse 9. This then is how you should pray. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us today our daily bread, and forgive us our debts, as we also have forgiven our debtors, and lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. So this, yes, is known as the Lord's Prayer, and if Jesus told us to pray this way, it must be because there's something very valuable here. There's something that is at the heart of what God wants us asking for when we come before him in prayer. And we've been looking at this one piece at a time. We're a little bit out of order because I was supposed to be here last week, but I have been sick. Uh, so now we are looking at the part where, well, it's, it's where it says in verse 9, um, hallowed be your name. This is the most, this is the, the most prayed prayer in all of history i'm quite sure and i'm also quite sure that a huge portion if not the majority of people who have prayed this couldn't tell you what the word hallowed means <laughs> it's a sad reality jesus actually when he told us to pray this he said don't pray vain repetitions as in don't just pray words if you don't know what you're saying but Nevertheless, we find ourselves doing this a lot of times. So, what does it mean for God's name to be hallowed? What are we asking for? And by the way, we are asking for something. I didn't even realize that. For a long time, I said this prayer, Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. I didn't even know I was asking for anything. We're asking for something when we say that. We're asking for his name to be hallowed. Okay, what does that mean? Well, break it down, summarize it. It means... We're asking for him to show himself to us, to show himself to, uh, to... When I will go on a prayer walk and I'll pray the Lord's Prayer and I'll say, will be your name, I, I kind of think of it in like little circles that kind of expand. I think, Lord, show yourself to me. Let my heart perceive who you are. Let me know who you are. Uh, and then the circle gets bigger. Lord, show yourself to my family. Uh, My children, my wife, let us know who you are. You know, the circle gets bigger. My neighborhood, my neighbors, my friends, our church. Lord, show yourself. We need you to show yourself to us. And, you know, our nation, the world. Hallowed be your name. Show yourself. And I'll be honest with you guys. uh, This message has not come together clearly in my head. (laughs) Uh, As in, um, sometimes I feel like God just gives me a message. Sometimes I struggle a little more. Uh, Last night, I'm looking at everything that I plan to say to all of you, and I'm just like, I don't have anything to say to these people. I don't even know what I'm doing. I, um, I texted a friend, asked him to pray, I called my wife, asked her to pray, and I left the house. I just started walking and praying. It was dark and it was cold. It was, it was rainy and I got wet, but I didn't care. And I was asking God to just help and asking him to do what this verse talks about. Hallow your name. Show us. Show yourself to us. And perhaps the reason why I was just unsatisfied with my sermon when I thought that I was going to say to you, the reason I was unsatisfied with it is because I didn't feel like it really matched up with what this verse really means to me, what I think about when I hear this verse. Hallowed be your name. I think about the big things. Part of it is just how I'm wired. Part of it is because that's what the Bible tells us. I think about the big things, times that God has shown himself with power. You know, David was a boy and this is the Old Testament, of course. David was a boy and he heard the giant, the, the large warrior, uh, defying the people of God. And he said to the warrior, he said to the giant, I'm going to kill you today. And the, the birds of the air and the beasts of the field, they're going to eat your body. Everyone's going to see it. And he said this, and the whole world is going to know that God is real. The whole world is going to know that our God is God. That was the desire that threw little David into the battle with Goliath. The desire was that his name would be hallowed so that people would know, so that God would be seen. I think about that. I think about that giant fallen. I think about what happened later uh, with the prophet Elijah and the people of Israel had gone astray. Their faith was totally corrupted as a whole. But Elijah's faith was real in the one true God. And there was a time when he gathered everyone together and he gathered together all the false prophets. And he called fire down from heaven. He prayed. And his prayer was, was this. Lord, let it be known today that you are God and that I'm your servant. In other words, hollow your name, show yourself. And fire came down from heaven, just like that. His prayer was, show yourself, hollow your name. And I'm thinking about these things. Lord, I want to speak this sermon, but what I really want is for you to show yourself to us, like you did in the days of old, with power. And I feel very, uh, I feel very weak. Like, I don't know how to do that. Lord, hallow your name. That's my request. That's that's our request. That's what Jesus... I feel like, God, we're in agreement here. You want us to ask this, and we want this. So show yourself. That's what I was feeling as I was walking last night in the rain. And like I said, I texted a friend, and he texted me back. And he said, "Uh, you got this. (laughs) God's power is made perfect in weakness. And I've I've been feeling weak. Like I say, I got COVID. And I had COVID before, but last time it was just a little blip. This time it took me out. That's why I didn't see these last two Wednesdays or last Sunday. And I'm feeling weak in all sorts of ways. Um, And something that I have... Come to discover, I've had a lot of conversations with people about COVID, not necessarily how the illness has affected us personally, but how this season of life has affected us. The conversation that I've had with people over and over again is that we all had our problems. We had our problems, you know, in our mind, in our families, whether it's conflict or, or mental health or whatever it is, we had our problems, And then this COVID came some years ago, and we were all isolated, and those weaknesses, the little chink in the armor, so to speak, exploded. Um, It's just a story I've heard with so many people is that um, we've, for many people, been living with uh, affliction, hardship, uh, mental health, conflict, you name it. And part of the reason I also know that we've been living with weakness and affliction is because i read the bible part of the reason i know is because i'm a pastor and i talk to people and i hear your problems the other reason that i know that there's hardship is because i read the bible and the scriptures tell us many are the afflictions of the righteous but the lord delivers him from them all many are the afflictions through many hardships we must endure uh, to enter the kingdom of god afflictions hardships But this is what the scriptures say, his power, his, the power that killed the giant, the power that brought down fire from heaven, the power that we are to experience is made perfect in weakness. What does that even mean? Well, it means this. You have your problems, you have your afflictions, you have your pain, and you individually, you can identify what that is. Maybe in your mind, it's too many things to count, and you don't even know where to get started. But you have your afflictions, you have your hardships, That is where God wants to meet you, and that is where He wants to show His power. I would love to bring down fire from heaven right now. This, I don't even see any wood, but I would like something to just start on fire. For real. I would love for us all to see it. But we would still have our problems when we left here. And He wants to do something greater than show us fire with our eyes, He wants to meet us in our weakness. And so we're going to talk about that, how his name is hallowed in our lives. We're going to talk about that. God's going to help me, and, uh, and we're going to see him. He's going to show himself to us. Would, would you pray with me to that effect? Lord, hallow your name, hallow your name, hallow your name. You are God, and let it be known today, like Elijah prayed. Let it be known that you are indeed God, and I am speaking on your behalf. Lord, let it be known, let it be clear, show yourself, Lord, and let us be a people who wants you to show yourself. Lord, we ask that in your name, like you told us to pray, we pray, Hallow be your name. Amen. Okay, I don't know why, I don't know why, I don't know why, but even though the verse is hallowed be your name, I felt drawn to Psalm 50. And a lot of times I thought, I, I don't know what I'm doing here, but we're going through Psalm 50 and we're just going to trust that God knows what he's doing. <laughs> it's been a weird couple of weeks. Um, so we're going to start at the beginning of Psalm 50. A psalm is an Old Testament song, by the way, scripture in the Old Testament. Psalm 50, beginning of verse one. The mighty one God, the Lord speaks and summons the earth from the rising of the sun to where it sets From Zion, perfect in beauty, God shines forth. Um, God wants to show himself. What is it that distorts the image of God in this world? Sin, injustice, oppression, bloodshed. But God dwells in Zion is what it says. Uh, Zion is a heavy word in the Bible. It's, it's, it's a heavy word today. Uh, it's taken upon a political context. And if you would, just leave that out of your mind for a moment because the Zion that this is talking about is not a Zion that you're going to find right now on this earth. Um, Hebrews 13, 14 says, Here we have no lasting city, but we seek a city that is to come. God dwells in Zion. He dwells in a city. And it's perfect. It's perfect in beauty. And it shines. And here's something that I say a lot. Here's something that my soul and your soul needs to be reminded of. At the center of the Christian hope is a city. Do you know that? Uh, I'm going to read something. Uh, this is from Hebrews 11. This talks about Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. We spent like the last year talking about Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And if I have my way, we'll do it again. Um, because there's something there for us to understand about what it means to be a person of faith. But I'm going to read just a couple uh, couple parts from Hebrews 11. Just, just sit and listen to this for a moment. By faith, Abraham... When called to go to a place he would later receive as his inheritance, obeyed and went, even though he didn't know where he was going. By faith he made his home in the promised land like a stranger in a foreign country. He lived in tents, as did Isaac and Jacob, who were heirs with him of the same promise. For he was looking forward to the city with foundations, whose architect and builder is God. They were longing for a better country, a heavenly one. Therefore, God is not ashamed to be called their God, for he has prepared a city for them. There is a city that awaits. Read the whole Bible, specifically the end, and you're going to see at the end of the story, we don't go to the city. Do you know that? At the end of the story, when the dead are raised, we don't go to the city. The city comes here. And here, on this earth, in a renewed earth, we will dwell in a renewed city with new bodies, without affliction, without pain, without hard times of crying out to God when you're walking and it's raining. <laughs> Whatever it is, your trouble, it'll be gone. At the center of the Christian hope is a city. And this is the great way that he's going to hallow his name at the end of the story. He does it now. He does it today, as we're going to see. He does it in our lives now. He shows himself. He hallows his name. But God is perfect, and he dwells in perfection, and that day is yet to come. That day will come. That is a truth we need to be reminded of, because these people of old, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, the way that they lived their life was looking forward to that city. We look forward to the city to come, and we say, Lord, hallowed be your name. Show yourself then, because this world is messed up. The Zion, there was a time when, when Jerusalem, the Jerusalem that is current on the map, was known as Zion. And you can still call it that in a, in a sense. But you look at that city, and what's going on there, bloodshed, namely, and things of the like. And we say, this isn't, this isn't the city we've been promised this isn't the city where perfection dwells. We look forward to it. Um, so that's, his name is going to be hallowed, and it's very important that we are a people who are looking forward. Um, let's keep reading. There's more to Psalm 50. Um, verse 3 says, Our God comes and will not be silent. A fire devours before him, and around him a tempest rages. He summons the heavens above and the earth that he may judge his people. Gather to me this consecrated people who made a covenant with me by sacrifice, and the heavens proclaim his righteousness, for he is a God of justice. Listen, my people, and I will speak. I will testify among you, Israel. I am God, your God. The heavens proclaim his righteousness, for he is a God of justice. Here's something else that happens at the end of the story. Something that is happening here, actually, in this passage. It's a... It's a um, it's a courtroom setting. He's, he's summoning um, an audience, a courtroom audience, and he is the, the prosecutor, and he, they're, they're, he's calling a defendant. It's a, it's a picture of God as a judge. Hollow your name, show your character, show your righteousness. At the end of the story, part of the way he's going to do that, part of, of the way he's gonna do that. The great way that he's gonna do that is a city that reflects his glory and perfection. That's the great way he's gonna do it. But another way he's going to hallow his name at the end of the story, another way he's gonna show himself, is by judging the world. Judging the world in righteousness. He is a God of justice. One of the reasons people find it difficult to believe in God is we live in a world that is filled with injustice, oppression, Any day of the year, grab a newspaper, and you're going to see story after story of injustice, of oppression. Live a single life. Live a single day in this earth, and you're going to find sin, cruelty. You're going to find so many things that do not reflect God's character, that do not reflect God's righteousness. And many times, it seems like it goes unanswered. I just... I read this week, I read this week, uh, there was this man, uh, he was a a physician, he was a gynecologist at the University of Southern California. Maybe you heard this awful news story. He used his position um, and his power to abuse so many young women, like 700 over the course of his tenure at the University of Southern California. There are 700 accusers, and he was finally arrested. I don't know what took so long. He was finally arrested some years ago. He's been on bail, and you know what happened earlier this month? He died, and I heard people on the radio expressing their frustration. They were robbed of their day in court. They were robbed of their justice. And we hear about stuff like that that happens far too often in this world. We hear about stuff like that and we want there to be a day of justice. We want there to be a judgment day when these wrongs are made right. And there is, there is a time of justice. That is part of who God is. He is indeed a God of justice. Something that is very good for our sake is he is also a God of salvation and of mercy and of deliverance for those who call on him, for those who will turn from their wicked ways and say, God, I need a savior. He stands ready to be that savior. But at the same time, for those who refuse to turn to the light and stubbornly hold on to darkness and hide themselves from him, there is a day of reckoning and that's what's going on here part of what's surprising here though part of what's surprising in the context here in Psalm 50 as he plays the role of this judge and the role of this prosecutor the people that he is calling to account are his people that's what he says listen my people and I will speak I don't know if you've ever heard this judgment begins in the house of God you ever heard that verse um Uh, The Apostle Paul said, what business do I have judging outsiders? Uh, Judgment begins in the house of God. What that means is God's purifying words. And some of these words are purifying. They're hard. They're things we need to hear. He's not speaking to those outside the church. Why? Well, they're not listening, for one. They're not here. (laughs) He's speaking to the people who bear his name. Um, God wants to show himself to the world, and you know what really distorts God's image in the world? People who claim to be religious, but they walk in cruelty and oppression and wickedness. That is something that hides the truth of who God is. I'm actually really excited. We have a couple baptisms today of some people who came from Iran and I just talked with their family a little bit before the service about the kind of religion that they have over there. My goodness, my goodness. Religion that is marked by oppression and cruelty, it has a way of hiding the truth of who God really is. When he's called us to be children of light and love and mercy, for that is how he wants to hallow his name in the earth. That's how he wants to show himself who he is. Okay. So here he's calling his people. He's calling his people. He's got some frustrations. So let's pick it up in verse 8. Here come the charges. I bring no charges against you concerning your sacrifices or concerning your burnt offerings, which are ever before me. I have no need of a bull from your stall or of goats from your pens, For every animal of the forest is mine and the cattle on a thousand hills. I know every bird in the mountains and the insects in the fields are mine. If I were hungry, I would not tell you, for the world is mine and all that is in it. Do I eat the flesh of bulls or drink the blood of goats? Okay, hold on for a second. So here God is saying uh, you got people bringing sacrifices. And God's not happy with their sacrifices. And you can ask the question, well, what's wrong? Didn't he tell the people in the Old Testament to bring sacrifices? Yeah, he did. He did tell them to do it. Why isn't he happy on this occasion? Well, I'll put it this way. There's a wrong way to do religion, okay? You can do religion. You can go through the motions. You can follow the steps. But what did Jesus say? The Father is seeking people who will worship him in spirit and truth. He's looking for people who will really worship from the heart. And these people, they're doing their sacrifices, but there's something very wrong. And that's going to become clear as you keep reading. It's also clear here, but but let's just leave these verses. We'll come back to them. If we just jump ahead in the psalm, uh, jump ahead to verse 16, uh, you can see a little bit. Actually, you know what? Hold on a second before we get there. uh, Maybe I should just say a little more about this concept, about how it is very possible to do religion wrong. Here's something that distorts God's name. Here's something that keeps his name from being hallowed. When religious people are judgy. <laughs> you know that? All right. All right. That's, that's a little bit of what I just heard from our, our, our friends from Iran. Uh, uh, some religious people who are judgy. Um, But we would be fools to say that only happens in other religions. Like, Christians don't do that, right? Bad news, Christians have a reputation also of doing just that, of being judgy. Sometimes, sometimes those accusations are unfair. Sometimes you can walk in love, you can walk in truth, and you're still going to be accused of being judgy. Sometimes they're totally fair. Okay, Sometimes it totally happens, and a lot of people have stories, and people will tell you, my dad will tell you. uh, um, My dad is coming to visit tomorrow. I'm excited. Maybe you'll meet him. My dad, uh, he'll tell you uh, that the reason he's not a believer is when he was 10 years old, a nun slapped him in the face so hard, and to this day, he doesn't know why he got slapped. Okay, A lot of people have stories about how religious people acted really judgy and that really distorted for them this concept of who God is and what he wants to do in the world. And so Jesus showed up and there were times, I think about this one time, where Jesus was super angry. Jesus was really angry. He wasn't angry with the people outside of the church. You know what I mean? He wasn't angry at the atheists And the non-believers, like I said before, judgment begins in the house of God, all right? He wasn't angry with those people. Uh, I mean, he came as a missionary to save all of them, but they didn't stir his anger. Do you know what stirred his anger? When he went to the temple and he saw the people who bore his name and how they were carrying on. And he actually went in. They had some tables. They were trying to make money. He didn't even say, hey, can you guys please leave? No, he (laughs) took the table, flipped it over. Actually, if you read the account, he made a whip before he went in there. He made himself a whip. What did he use that whip for That's anyone's guess. There were some animals, so I guess he had to get the animals out. But I do have to wonder (laughs) if animals were the only thing that uh, that whip was made for. I don't know. But Jesus got angry. Jesus got angry at people who bore the name of God, who were religious. But here's the problem. Here's the problem with religious hypocrites. They're not actually seeking God in their heart. They don't actually want him to show himself. They don't actually want an experience with him. They want to do the religion for other reasons. Um, so anyways, like I said, let's pick it up in verse 16. We're going to see more of this. Verse 16, it says this: "But to the wicked person, God says, "What right do you what right have you to recite my laws or take my covenant on your lips? You hate my instruction, and you cast my words behind you. When you see a thief you join with him, you throw in your lot with adulterers. You use your mouth for evil. And harness your tongue to deceit. You sit and testify against your brother and slander your own mother's son. When you did these things, I kept silent. You thought I was exactly like you, but I now arraign you and set my accusations before you. Consider this, you who forget God, or I will tear you to pieces with no one to rescue you. Okay, these are hard words. Yes, tear you to pieces, hard words. Once more, who is he speaking to? He's speaking to people who are using religion, but in their heart, they're not actually seeking him. In their heart, they're actually distorting what he wants to do on the earth by giving a false impression to the world of who he really is, which is a God of love and mercy. The things that's spoken up here, let's, let's actually look at you know, a verse at a time. One of, the, one of the accusations, one of the charges he has, you see this in verse 17, you hate my instruction, And you cast my words behind you. You hate my instruction. The word instruction, I'm not sure why it's translated instruction. It's not exactly what the word means. Um, The word actually means uh, correction or chastising. Uh, Discipline it's sometimes translating. Here's something. As religious people, which we should be, one of the marks of true religion before God is we allow his word to correct us. Do you know what I mean? Not like other people. I'm not saying like other people. Oh, yeah, yeah, that person needs God's word. No, me. We allow God's word to fall in our hearts and we hear it. Here, here's, here this, is, this, is, this is an Old Testament uh, complaint about the people of God that you see a lot. It says, every man did what was right in their own eyes. That's not a good thing. But listen to it. It's not saying every man was just living immorally. Every man was doing what was right in their own eyes. Do we want to do what is right in our own eyes? Or do we want to be a people who hears God's word And says, you know what? That doesn't seem right to me. But you're smarter than me. You're God. I'm not. So I'm going to let your word correct me. I'm going to let your word correct me in what I think is right. Here, the people who are false religious, not real, they're not doing that. They're not letting God's word fall in their heart. They're not really listening. They don't actually want God. They don't actually want his word. That's one of the accusations, is you're not really a people who listen to me. So let us not be this, and let us be a people who actually listen and say, God, correct me. Show me if there's any way that is wrong. Reveal it to me and lead me in the way everlasting. That's what the scriptures say. Lord, search me. Lord, search me and know my heart, meaning show me. Look what's here, show me what's wrong, show me how I need to change. That is humility. That's what he's looking for. People that are not stubborn and going their own way, but people who are actually turning him and saying, Lord, show me. I want to follow you. And as we live this way, that is, that is, uh, that is, that's what it means to live a blameless life. It doesn't mean that we're without sin. That word blameless, it comes up later in the psalm. But that's what it means to live a blameless life. It means we're turning to him and we're asking him to sh- show me. Show me. Um, what else does it say? Uh, it says, verse 18, when you see a thief, you join with him and throw in your lot with adulterers. Um, once more, the Hebrew is a little different. The Hebrew actually says uh, you give consent. Something to that degree. When you see a thief, you give consent. So, I already, talked about, I already talked about how uh, religious people who are religious in spirit and truth, we can't be judgy. Meaning we can't look down on others, we can't condemn others. But there is another ditch on the other side of the road that religious quote-unquote people can also fall into. Um, and that is giving approval. Um, giving approval to those who are living apart from God. That's what he's talking about. He's like, you give approval to these things. Now, don't get me wrong. I want to help us understand what I mean when I say we are to live as missionaries. It's not our job to walk down the street and point out sin wherever we see it, okay? That's just not, it's not how Jesus, it's not how Jesus walked, for one. And for two, it's just, that's just not how you build trust as a missionary. That's not how you make friends and show people the way of love and mercy. It's not what you do. But you also have to be true to God and who he is and who his, how he's revealed himself in his word. I have a friend, when I was a scoffer and a blasphemer, a non-believer, when I ridiculed Christians... Perhaps you've heard the story. When I was a non believer, I had a Christian friend who had a huge influence on my life, all right? And he almost never said anything about the life I was living. I was living a life that was not in line with God's word in lots of ways, and he rarely said anything about that because he didn't need to. Because I saw his love, I saw his genuineness, I saw his faith. And I knew he didn't approve of those things. I, that's just something about living for God as your life is light. So he didn't need to tell me those things. There was one time where I remember he said to me, Charlie, I'm praying that God takes away your desire to use drugs. He wasn't speaking any judgmental words. He was expressing his love, and he was helping, he was expressing that the life you're living is not good. But here's something he didn't do. He didn't say, oh, you know what, you're good just the way you are. You know, I just want to affirm you just the way you are. God loves you just the way you are. But no, he doesn't affirm everything about you. Instead, there's lots in his word that calls us to correct, to change, because he wants to lead us in the way everlasting, the way that is life and light. So once more, as truly religious people, we're not going to be judgy. We don't need to be judgy. But we also, we don't give a pat on the back to things that aren't good. Okay, that's not hard. Um, here's something else, another accusation. You sit and testify. You, you use your mouth for evil and harness your tongue to deceit. You sit and testify against your brother and slander your own mother's son. I understand these are hard words, but let's, let's just get through it. You slander your own mother's son, you use your tongue for evil. I'm gonna read a New Testament verse actually, because this might, might land harder. Okay. New Testament verse. This is from the book of James. Those who consider themselves religious, so this is like truly religious, those who consider themselves religious, but yet, and yet do not keep a tight rein on their tongue, deceive themselves, and their religion is worthless. Whoa, those who consider themselves religious, but they don't watch their mouth, their religion is worthless. Oh no, let us hear this one more time. For those who consider themselves religious, but they don't keep a tight rein on their mouth, they're deceiving themselves. Oh no, oh no. What is this really speaking of? It's really a similar idea that you saw earlier. If we care about God, we want his voice in our lives. Another verse from James actually says, uh, let's see if I can find it. Um, Maybe I didn't put it in here. Uh, It goes something like this. Uh, With the same tongue, you bless God and you curse people who are made in his image. Um, We have to be people who use our mouths to speak love, to speak mercy, to speak grace, to speak kindness. This is just simply painting a picture of someone who is religious on the surface, but they're not walking in the way of love and mercy. Now, you can understand why God gets frustrated about these things. It's not just, it's not just about people doing evil, which God doesn't like, but it's people distorting his name, That's what makes it especially bad. Okay, beloved, I realize this passage, everything that's been on the screen, like I said, it's not on the screen right now, but everything that I read, I understand that these are hard words. Why is God speaking these hard words? Is it because he wants to judge us? No, on this occasion, he's speaking to the prideful because he loves them, and he wants them to stop walking in their prideful way and he wants them to turn and find true life and find true forgiveness and true mercy. Um, actually, let's, let's go back. I told you I was going to go back here. Um, Psalm 50, beginning verse 8, it says, I bring no charges against you concerning your sacrifices or concerning your burnt offerings, which are ever before me. Um, I have no need of a bull from your stall or of goats from your pens. For every animal of the forest is mine and the cattle on a thousand hills. I know every bird in the mountains and the insects in the fields are mine. If I were hungry, I would not tell you, for the world is mine and all that is in it. Do I eat the flesh of bulls or drink the blood of goats? Okay, so uh, here people are coming to church and they're doing their sacrifices. And like we already read, what they're doing the other six days a week, that's the real problem, isn't it? Okay, They're showing up to church. They're doing their sacrifices. God's not happy with their sacrifices because they're not actually living for God. They're not actually seeking him. They don't actually want his name hallowed in their life. But here, when they do show up at church, even there, there's a problem. That's what we see. Even there, there's a problem. When they're giving their sacrifices, there's a problem. What's the problem? It's kind of spoken uh, with a little bit of humor um, where it's kind of like God is basically saying like, oh, you brought a bull, a goat. Uh, do you think I'm hungry? Like, do you think that I need your food? You think I need something from you? And here we can get to the heart of the problem. These people with their sacrifices, they think they are doing God a favor. They think they are helping God as if God needs any help. That's what he's saying. I never needed your help. That's not why I, I, I asked you to do this. They think that they're offering something. Okay, to help understand this, uh, I reminded, my wife told me, like, when she was a kid, she used to uh, go out for breakfast with her sisters and her aunt and her grandma all the time, and she would listen to her aunt and her grandma argue about who was going to pay the bill. And she's like, that's so weird. That was so weird to me as a kid. It's like, why are you guys arguing about who pays the bill? It's weird, huh? Why do people do that? Um, because there's a sense of honor with pain, okay? There's a sense of honor being the one who pays. But this is what it means to be a Christian. We're not the one who pays. What are we? We're the children. We're the children who sit at the table. Um, Jesus said, the only way to enter the kingdom of heaven is to enter as a child. And children just come and they ask. Um, Perhaps this will make more sense when you keep reading. Um, When you get to verse 14, it says, Sacrifice thank offerings to God, fulfill your vows to the Most High, and call on me in the day of trouble. I will deliver you, and you will honor me. So here, what he's doing, he's turning it around. Like, you're coming to church, and you think you're doing me a favor. In your eyes, I'm the one that needs help. Guess what? You're the one that needs help. I'm the savior. I'm the one who takes care of things. I'm the one who pays the bills. You're the one who needs to be forgiven. You're the one who needs mercy. You're the needy one. You're the one that needs help. That is the foundation of a true relationship with God. He is savior, and we are the people who need to be saved. Um, it's, we're coming to him with that sort of neediness. Once in a while, once in a while, Um, I'll hear someone say something to the tune of, when I pray, it's hard for me to pray for myself. People will say that. It's hard for me to pray for myself. And if that's you, let me suggest that you might be falling into this little bit of a trap, thinking that God needs something from you. Call on me in the day of trouble. I will deliver you, and you will honor me. So here, I'm going to bring it down to... how I started this. God's power is made perfect in weakness. What does that mean? His power is made perfect in this. We call on him. We say, Lord, I need your help. I need your help. Lord, it's cold. It's raining. A bunch of people are going to be showing up at church tomorrow. I don't know what I'm going to say to these people. I need your help. That's what I experienced last night. For real. It was scary. Lord, I need your help. I need your help. I need your help. And then... And whatever it is your problem is, you ask for help, and then God, being the Savior, being the Helper, He what does He do? He helps. And then, and then, you're in a place to actually worship. Actually, it says sacrifice thank offerings to God. Your sacrifices, you're not doing God a favor. He doesn't need your help. Why do we serve Him? Why do we give our time, our money? Why do we serve him? It's because he saved us. It's a way of thanksgiving. That's the formula there. I, I, call on me in the day of trouble. I will deliver you and you will honor me. Um, let, let, me should, let me actually just show you this formula playing out in this three verses of Psalm 40. Perhaps on Wednesday I'm going to have Cecil sing this because he actually wrote a song of these three, three verses and they've been ringing in my head lately. But um, it goes like this. i waited patiently for the Lord He turned to me and he heard my cry. He lifted me out of the slimy pit, out of the mud and the mire. He set my feet on a rock and gave me a firm place to stand. He put a new song in my mouth, a hymn of praise to our God. Many will see and fear the Lord and put their trust in him. Okay, so this is how we hallow his name. It's right here also. This is how we hallow his name. We experience the mud and the mire, the hardship of life, the afflictions, We're afraid, we're anxious, we don't know what to do, we're beside ourselves, and we cry out to him. Help me, help me. Uh, This is another really weird thing that I've discovered. I've sat down with a lot of people who are, are just like feeling it in every way. They're feeling the trouble in life and it's weighing on them. And I say to them, so you pray about this a lot? And it's crazy how often I hear, well, not, not specifically, no. What? What? The only thing that he wants you doing here is crying out, asking for help. Because then when he does help, it's not just that, oh, I had a lucky day. Oh, my problems got fixed. No, it's this. I cried out to him and he answered me. And now he put a new song in my mouth, a hymn of praise to our God. Many will see and fear the Lord and put their trust in him. He wants your life to be a testimony It's not just about fixing your problems from a distance. It's not just about giving you the wisdom to fix your own problems. It's about him being the savior. And then when your life is now firm and you're standing on a rock, you can say, it's not because of me actually. It's not because I'm smart, okay? It's not because I'm lucky. It's because he's faithful. I asked for his help and he helped me. That is the new song. Uh, Debbie Nichols, where are you? She's here somewhere, okay? I talked to Debbie a couple weeks ago. Cheryl and I are actually going to record a podcast. and We're going to hear like more of her story. Her story. She had stage four cancer. And she told me that, um, I hope, Debbie, I hope you're okay with me telling your story up here. Because uh, maybe I told you I was going to, I don't know. Um, she had stage four cancer. And she told me before she got the diagnosis, like she would go to other people to pray for her. Like other people, she, like, I wish I could pray, you know, like this person or that person. But she said in this time, in this hardship, in this affliction, she learned how to pray. And she said she's thankful because her relationship with God became so much closer. And by the way, now she is cancer-free. Wow, that's, that's amazing. I, I, don't know, I don't know if i have ever heard that before. Stage four cancer usually doesn't just turn into cancer-free. She's cancer-free, and this is what she said to me. She said, I I feel like my relationship with God is so much closer where I can pray for other people now. I don't need other people to pray for me. I can pray for other people. Listen to the word here. He put a new song in my mouth. That's what we're talking about. So when we say, hallowed be your name, this is what we're asking for. Show yourself. Show yourself in my affliction in this day's. Show yourself to be a God who is a savior, a God of mercy, a God of salvation. Help me. And then, and then I will glorify you by thanking you. Then I will glorify you. Many will see. I will tell people. I will speak of your salvation. One more verse. It's the end of Psalm 50. Those who sacrifice thank offerings honor me. And to the blameless, I will show my salvation. Meaning simply to those who will turn in their heart and say, God, I need you. I want to follow you. Once more, that's what it means to be blameless. It doesn't mean to be without sin, but it means to be seeking Him and saying, Change me, forgive me. And the promise is this In these days, many are the afflictions of the righteous, but the Lord delivers Him from them all, from them all, from all of them, all the afflictions. He delivers. In this life, we bear witness to his deliverance. We have stories to tell of the ways he helped us. And we thank him. That's how we serve him in this life. That's how we hallow his name. That's how our life shows. Once more, I would love to just call down fire from heaven, and that would be cool. That'd be a cool trick. Right, I would love to do that. I would, I would. I hope during our worship, there's fire from heaven that falls down. I pray for that, I still do. Okay, there's nothing wrong with that. I want it. I do. I want power. I want a display of God's power. But this is the thing that's very clearly promised. Our lives, our stories, our testimonies will be a display of His power. And in your pain, in your affliction, in your hardship, that's where He's promised to meet you, that's where He's promised to help you. And He says, I will show my salvation. And that means in these days now, he's going to show his salvation. And here's the good news. It's really going to mean when the city comes. When the city comes, that will be the full experience of his salvation. Okay, I'm past my time. Father God, guide us, guide us. Thank you for the people who are going to be baptized. I pray pray that um, your name is hallowed. Lord, thank you that you're a faithful God who... Thank you that you are a faithful God who wants to show himself. Thank you that you, um, your power is made perfect in weakness, because in weakness we cry out to you, Lord, and you hear us. So just keep guiding us, Lord, in your name. Amen. Amen. You can clap, but not for me. You can only just clap because God answered my prayers and gave me something to say to all of you.
1: So, for those of you, my mic's not working again. So, for the for those of you who are in their room, you can just raise your hand and a mic will come to you. Or for those of you who are online or in this room and would like to text a message in, just go ahead and text it to the number. The first question is a really good one, Charlie. What's the difference between being judgmental and making an observation? Are we not allowed to verbalize the wrongs?
0: It's a great question. Uh, It's the heart behind it, Um, the difference between being judgy and making an observation is the heart behind it. Wisdom sometimes tells you when that observation is helpful and when that verbal observation is not helpful. It's not a helpful time to make that verbal observation. I'm gonna pick on my wife because she can handle it. (laughs) Uh, A lot of times around 5 p.m. before we eat, uh, you know, she gets a little hangry. <laughs> this is something I learned in the early years of my marriage. It's not helpful for me to point that out. <laughs> <laughs> What's helpful is for me to cook faster, okay? No, it, 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 if I say to my wife, well, you're in a bad mood, not, not good, <laughs> not smart, not smart, not helpful, Okay. All right, that's just a silly example. And she's got plenty of examples that turn the other way. And, you know, if she had the microphone, she could say stuff like that. I only say that because she, she's got a sense of humor. But the point is, the point is this. Just because you notice something in someone that's not good doesn't mean that it is helpful for you to point it out. Um, we are called to speak the truth in love. But sometimes love means that this isn't the right time. you got to have the right setting. Um, but... Ultimately, the difference between judgy and the difference between speaking and observation um, is a hard thing, and God knows the difference. But here's the thing. People can almost always tell, okay? If you're speaking about someone's sin and you're doing it with love and compassion, people can tell. If you're doing it out of a judgmental spirit, people can tell, okay? Okay? Um, God can certainly tell, but almost always people can tell. So:
1: How do we know if our anger is
0: righteous? Oh, wow, That's a good one. That's a hard one. Uh, be angry and do not sin. Um, you know, um, I guess what I would say is when you feel that anger, take a pause. Uh, be careful, because when passions are high it 's really easy it 's really 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 easy um, to let that anger turn into something that isn 't good um, How can we tell if our anger is just is is righteous that 's a, a really good question and I feel like i 'm going to have to do some homework you you stumped me on that one because i i don't i don 't always know um, I can probably give I know that if you're angry um, about things, uh, here's something actually that I would say. If I am angry because I see God's name being distorted, like some of the things that I talked about, people being having, in the name of religion, being hurtful and cruel and oppressive. If I'm angry about things like that, um, then, yeah, that's... That's fair. If I'm angry because I have been offended, <laughs> where it's not God's name, it's not God's name and God's image that's being distorted, it's mine. You're tarnishing me. You're taking my rights. You're treating me unfairly. Um, that's more reason to pause. Because as sinners who have been forgiven, and this is going to come out more in two weeks, okay, as sinners that have been forgiven, we don't have the standing to be offended when someone wrongs us. As people who have wronged other people, as sinners, uh, it's, it makes sense. We have the right to be hurt because we get hurt. People hurt us. But we don't have the standing, the moral standing, um, to, to be vindictive, if that makes sense and to let our anger roll, you know.
1: So this is our last question. Pastor talked about the city being on earth. Does it mean that we won't go to heaven, like ascend up to
0: heaven? Great question, great question. So this is something that Jesus said to the thief as he was dying. Do you remember this? He said, today you're going to be with me in paradise. So there is what theologians call this intermediate state, where when people die, in a sense, they go to heaven in that sense. Um, it sometimes spoke about being, I think the term sometimes in the Bible is like Abraham's bosom. That's a weird way of saying it. But the idea is like there is some sort of heavenly realm now which spirits seem to go to. I don't understand it, but that is not the city. And this is the difference. At the end of the story, that is when the resurrection of the body takes place. When Jesus returns, that's when our bodies are resurrected. And those who are in that intermediate state, you know, people who have died in faith and they are in heaven, spiritually they're with Jesus, that is when they are given a new body. And that is when the city will come down here. And so the ultimate heaven in its completed state is going to be here. It's going to be a physical reality. That's a huge Point in the scriptures and it is often lost in our modern Christianity a lot of times people's idea of well you die and you go to heaven or you go to hell and that's the end that's not the end okay the end is when Jesus returns and the dead are raised and here on this earth there's a renewed earth um, and the city of God is here